Welcome to the latest edition of the Intelligence Download. I'm your host, Brad Grantham. Today we discuss the rise of ransomware. It has accelerated across the globe over the past couple of years to a point where it's dominating news coverage across the globe, impacts various work sectors across the board, and will likely impact a company or someone you know in the near future. But before we talk about that, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Adrian Nish. He is the head of cyber for BA Systems Applied Intelligence. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Before we dig in, can you tell us a little bit more about your role and what your team does? Hi, Brad. Uh, sure, no problem. So I've been at BA uh, since 2010, and I've been basically working in uh, cyber all that time. So I initially joined into what was our incident response team uh, back then, and, and then uh, helped support uh, building our, our managed security service. Um, I founded our threat intel team along the way and, and stood that up, uh, but I've kind of taken on a, a broader role around our, our cyber portfolio strategy in, in the last year. Um, so yeah, very interested in, 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 in uh, evolutions in the, in the threat landscape, and it's still a big part of uh, what we talk about with, uh, with customers today. So let's dive into it. Ransomware has been all over the news uh, over the past month or so in North America and across the globe. In North America specifically, we had the Colonial Pipeline incident. There was a meatpacking company that was also impacted. But again, we've seen this kind of come more and more to fruition, not just in the past month, but Adrian, would you say it's been over the past two or three years that we've started to see an increase in ransomware? Yeah, I think there's a few kind of factors that are, are driving this at the moment. Um, so one is uh, cryptocurrency. So the, the kind of general, uh, I guess, mainstreaming of cryptocurrency has just made it easier for criminals to, to use that as the, uh, I guess, the payout mechanism. Um, we, we've also seen um, just a few particular criminal groups uh, cotton on to the model of uh, attacking uh, enterprise networks, uh, stealing data as well as encrypting data, and then extorting the victims by publishing little snippets of that data on uh, on their blogs. And, and they're really able to kind of play on the kind of pain points of uh, enterprise uh, organizations, and then that's led to kind of copycats, and so there's been a bit of a kind of a spiraling of um, groups getting into this. And then I think as well that the pandemic has um, uh, also contributed to it. So both through, um, I guess, weaknesses in network security, so people enabling more remote access, which just provides uh, more kind of vectors, more avenues for, for, for attackers to get into enterprise networks. But also it's, it's hampered some other uh, criminal business models. So the criminals would be more kind of incentivized to, to get into uh, ransomware attacks uh, and see if they can profit from it. So, yeah, it's a bit of a coming together of a, of a few different factors, I'd say. And let's talk about the evolving tactics. Can you dive into that a little bit, what you, what you and the team have seen over the past year or two? Sure. So I, I think, you know, ransomware is not new. It's, it's something that's been around as long as I've been uh, working in cybersecurity. But I think how it's changed in the last couple of years is that um, if we go back maybe 10 years, the way that the groups were using ransomware was they would uh, send out as much of it as they could through, like, spam um, emails. Anybody, you know, URI, 
grandparents, whoever could click on those and get some malware onto our, our laptop and it would pop up a message saying that your your machine has been encrypted, put in your credit card number here and you'll you'll be able to decrypt your files. Um, and you know that that was usually aimed at, at stealing something like maybe five hundred dollars from uh, from each victim. So you, you you're playing the numbers game of, of trying to get a, a large number of victims. What's changed in the last couple of years is the attackers realize it's more profitable to go after large organizations and, um, you know, kind of focus the, the, the kind of ransom and extortion tactics uh, on getting them to pay. The other thing that's kind of played into this is organizations these days often have uh, cyber insurance. And so actually the organization can just draw down on their cyber insurance policy. So they don't really feel any any particular impact from this. Um, uh, the victims, are, the, 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 the criminals are getting the, the payout through the, uh, through the insurance policy. And again, that's just kind of fueling that sort of cycle of, um, uh, of, of growth in, in, in attacks. What has your team seen since the beginning of 2020 as far as the number of victims, you know, how many people are potentially paying out, the geographic footprint, and some of the sectors that have been impacted? I think people would be really interested to hear that. Yeah, the, the interesting thing with the, the way that the criminals are doing this is that they, they publish the um, victims on, on blogs when they're trying to extort them. So it's kind of a public sort of naming and shaming. And the blogs are on the dark web, but it's it's fairly trivially easy to, to find them. Um, so what we set up, uh, what we set up at the beginning of 2020 was some automated ways that we could pull down a copy of those blogs each day and basically scrape the, uh, the, the, the list of victims from them. So we've, we've had a pretty good way of, of, of tracking this phenomenon as it's grown through 2020 and, and into this year. So what was started off with one blog um, at the start of 2020, you know, quickly expanded to a couple of dozen that, um, uh, that, that we're tracking. Um, and within that, we've identified something like about 2,500 victims that have been publicly named. Um, and and that, that's probably the majority of victims. I mean, there are some that don't even make it onto the blogs because they just they pay as soon as they they, they, they receive the threats. Um, but also there's some victims who get removed from the blogs as well after they paid. So we've got a way that we can kind of track, you know, what proportion are, are paying the ransoms. But we've then taken that data, we've enriched it with what's the uh, the geography that that victim's in, what sector are they in. So it gives us a really good picture of actually, you know, where the, the criminals kind of targeting uh, uh, targeting their focus. And, and the interesting thing is that the, the U.S. is the, the major target. So uh, over 55 percent of the victims uh, are from the U.S., and, and within that, it's the industrial and manufacturing sector that is the most targeted. And our, our rationale for that is that we think that, you know, that, that that's the kind of organizations that are more likely to have cyber insurance uh, and more likely to actually pay out. And so the criminals have kind of done their, done their calculus and figured out, you know, that's the, the, the best kind of route to a payoff, basically. And in, in some of those other sectors, whether it's construction, architecture, health, finance, insurance, and banking, are there some other examples? Uh, wasn't there an incident in Ireland recently that uh, somebody was impacted by ransomware? Yeah, so, you know, the, the groups go after all sorts of, of organizations. I mean, we, we've done work for um, 
victims who've been in the in the policing sector, for example. So, you know, so it's like the most daft kind of uh, uh, target to go after from a criminal perspective. You, you're just attracting law enforcement to you. But you know, we 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 we've seen that. We've seen healthcare uh, organisations, uh, the Irish Healthcare Service, obviously the, the one you're referring to. Uh, you know, we've seen um, uh, financial payment infrastructure providers. Uh, we've seen uh, large aerospace and defence companies. Um, we've seen a whole range of, of sectors. I mean, there, there really isn't a, a sector that's been kind of left by these groups. Uh, I, think, I think we'll have seen it. The, the top ten, your team has identified kind of the top ten sectors that have been impacted by ransomware. I'm just going to run down the list real quick. That's industrial manufacturing, as you mentioned, retail, construction, architecture, health, finance, transportation, software and services, legal, food and agriculture, and government. Do any of those surprise you, of those top ten? Um, I mean, health is, I guess, surprising because, uh, you know, I mean, obviously morally it's uh, it's vulnerable that anybody would, would target the healthcare sector. Um, but also they're not particularly known to have, uh, you know, a huge amount of uh, resources available to just go and pay a ransom. So it doesn't really make good sense, I think, in terms of, um, you know, you, you're attracting you're attracting reaction from government and law enforcement uh, for attacking those sorts of organizations. Uh, and, and I can't see much evidence that those are the sorts of organizations that actually pay out on ransoms. I, I can kind of understand why industrial manufacturing is a target. I mean, if, if you get into a factory and you're able to cause some downtime in a factory, you know, that costs a huge amount for the victim, uh, you know, disproportionate amounts in terms of uh, the, the, the cost versus actually what you're being ransomed for, which is typically you know, a few million dollars. Um, they're often insured as well, so they can very quickly pay that insurance and get back up and running. So from a pure kind of financial perspective, it, it makes sense. Other, other sectors like, like healthcare, yeah, it just doesn't really seem to make sense. And let's, let's talk about cyber insurance. Your threat intelligence team has been a part of incident response for many different um, incidents around the globe. You have actually seen um, these ransomware um, criminals or hackers go into systems and specifically look to see if an organization has a cyber insurance policy. Is that correct? Yeah, not, not just that, but also um, steal the policy and then in the uh, email that they send back in, the, the extortion that they're doing to the victim, they actually play on that. They say, we know you've got cyber insurance, so why don't you just pay the ransom, draw down your cyber insurance, and, and we'll leave you alone. So they're actually using that as a very specific tactic to, um, uh, to extort the victims. So whether it's the, the healthcare system in Ireland, whether it's the Colonial Pipeline incident over here in the United States, what are things that could have been done to prevent this from happening to their organizations? Is there some type of software or hardware that they could have had on site uh, that would have eliminated the risk? Um, th th there's no silver bullet here, unfortunately, and, and I think you know all, all the cases that we've seen and, and been kind of privy to some of the, the, the sort of details of what happened um, tell us that you know there's just kind of basic 
basic vulnerabilities, but also kind of basic tactics that the, the attackers are using to get into these networks. It's not kind of like some advanced, you know, high-end zero-day vulnerability that they're attacking. It is just the usual, you know, um, lack of security around uh, remote access, um, spear phishing emails or kind of socially engineering people um, or just, you know, stuff that, that could be patched and, uh, you know, it's just been missed for, for whatever reason. So it's all of the usual kind of basic stuff that attackers have been using for years and, you know, these groups are just very proficient about finding any little little kind of weakness and hole in uh, in an organization so yeah it's 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 no kind of silver bullet unfortunately i mean there's obviously there's lots of things that people can do to improve their security whether it's around uh, training and awareness or whether it's around uh, better monitoring solutions whether it's around kind of network segregation so there's you know bits of your network that you can kind of take a hit on but there's other kind of crown jewels or you know high impact systems that you you keep kind of well segregated aggregated um, so that an attacker can't get into that. Um, but also, you know, being quick to respond as well can actually minimize the damage. Um, so if you're quick about actually doing the, um, uh, the investigation and the remediation, uh, it's a good way to kind of mitigate the, 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 the full kind of impact from the, um, the attack. So with ransomware constantly in the news, one would assume that it's just going to keep growing. There's money to be, money to be made. It's going to continue to grow. Other people might see these headlines and say, I want to get on that as well. How do we put a stop or a dent in the rise of ransomware? Should governments be offering new policies? Should the coalitions be formed? What are kind of the conclusions and recommendations that you have, Adrian? Yeah, like I said, there's no kind of easy uh solutions to this. Um, I think there's a, there's a range of measures um, that different stakeholders need to kind of put in place to um, uh, really mitigate this. So one, one side of it is kind of looking at the payments and, uh, you know, is there more that can be done to kind of regulate cryptocurrency or just kind of enforce existing regulations to make that sort of abuse harder? Uh, another side of it is, is cyber insurance and whether, uh, you know, it should be just outlawed uh, in, in making uh, ransom payments uh, or whether um, the, the insurers themselves uh, put in, you know, specific policy exclusions around uh, ransomware. Um, clearly, there's more to be done on the, the network defense side of things. Um, and, you know, we've been saying it for years about organizations need to uh, improve their cyber defenses. They need to be doing the basics right. And I you know, we just need to kind of keep pushing those messages and and and, and providing tools and advice around that. Um, I think there needs to be more done uh, with law enforcement as well. So some of the criminals, unfortunately, are in safe harbors and and are effectively untouchable. But some of the the kind of criminal enablers, so the people who support the money laundering, for example, or support the infrastructure, they're not necessarily in uh, in, in in jurisdictions that are impossible to reach. So there needs to be kind of more done around um, uh, identification of who they are and. Um, uh, international law enforcement efforts to, to counter them. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's no there's no quick solutions. There's no sort of easy one thing that you can point to that'll fix it. But I think a coordinated effort uh, across multiple stakeholders is what's required. Let me let me touch on two points that you just brought up there. Number one, regulations kind of around Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. What can be done there? And then secondly, can you walk me through a little bit about the network segregation? that you talked about and what that looks like? 
Yeah, so for cryptocurrency, um, I think from my perspective, I, I don't think there's necessarily new regulations that are required um, to get a better handle on cryptocurrency. I think just enforcing some of the existing regulations around uh, KYC and, and, and anti-money laundering controls is, is probably sufficient. But the cryptocurrency is different and, and how, how it it kind of interfaces to the, the the regular financial system. Fiat currency uh, is is a bit different, but I, I think you know mm. the, the 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 there will be more probably um, more pressure from regulators, but also probably more tools and um, uh, understanding from the community of actually you know where are the kind of risk factors, what do organisations need to be looking out for, uh, what are the kind of sources of intelligence that they can use to. Uh, to, to kind of better inform, um, uh, you know, decisions they're making around blocking payments and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's for me. I think it's more about how the regular uh, uh, financial ecosystem sort of interfaces to to cryptocurrency. That 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 interface needs to be um, to be examined. Uh, uh, network segregation. So um, yeah, I mean, a, a lot for a lot of organisations, they. they probably don't need to worry about this too much, but for organizations that have kind of high value assets, so let's say a, I don't know, organization that's doing oil refining, um, they will have a business network, and that's the business network that, you know, they check their emails on, they browse the internet on. They'll also have a uh, an operational technology environment, so they'll have pumps and, um, you know, systems that are, are connected up to standard Windows domains. Um, those two networks may need to talk to each other. So you may need your business systems to talk to your operational technology systems. But there are ways to segregate the network and put in place technologies that allow the, the systems to talk to each other, but also uh, preventing a, uh, a malicious actor actually being able to, to jump from, say, your business network into your operational technology network. So, so that's that's quite important for uh, people like you know the, the industrial and manufacturing companies that are getting uh, done by ransomware at the moment because they can probably take a hit on their business network as long as they're able to uh, keep their operational technology running. So we have a few minutes left. Let me just ask one or two more questions. And again, thanks so much for your time here. The ransomware gangs and criminals that you've seen and tracked over the past two and a half, three years, are they from the historical geographic areas of similar criminals in the past, or have you seen any new ones kind of pop up from a different uh, region? Yeah, so the, the, the most uh, prolific and, I guess, successful groups are from predominantly Russian-speaking uh, countries, uh, and that's because there's a particular kind of ecosystem there of, of groups that, you know, hang out on the same forums, and, and Russian is, is the common language. So not necessarily all in Russia, but but they can converse on, on, on these forums. And, and, you know, we've seen evidence of this in, in, in recent weeks with uh, arrests in Ukraine, for example, of, uh, of, of some of the criminals uh, associated with uh, these ransomware attacks, um, but we are seeing groups in other areas that are, um, I guess, kind of building capabilities and testing capabilities. So very recently, we're looking at some Iranian actors who uh, were building ransomware uh, capabilities. I, I don't know if we'd actually seen evidence of them deploying them, but we've seen certainly, uh, you know, kind of progression in terms of building the tools. 
Uh, and again, we we don't know what their motive is necessarily. I mean, it, it could be just purely uh, financially motive, but they could be kind of uh, looking at this as a way to, you know, do destruct, destructive or destructive attacks, but do it kind of under the guise of, uh, you know, a criminal group. So it's uh, it doesn't necessarily attract the uh, the full kind of attention it would otherwise. Last question. What is the biggest misconception about ransomware uh, or about what you're seeing in the threat intelligence space at the moment that you want to address? Um, probably the biggest misconception is, is, is around people thinking it's, it's just a malware problem. And, you know, if you just buy better antivirus that, you know, to be able to detect the ransomware and, and, and the problem goes away. What's really happening is there's criminal groups who know how to hack into enterprise networks, and they are very much doing that manually, hands-on keyboard, you know, working their way around the network. They're not just deploying malware to kind of encrypt up uh, documents in, in the traditional fashion and then, and then do the ransom. They're also stealing data, and they're getting better and better at finding, you know, what's the most painful data for uh, the organization to, to have kind of extorted. So uh, using tactics like identifying uh, personal information, even kind of sensitive personal information like health records of staff, and, and they're using that to really kind of play on the uh, the sort of emotions of the, uh, you know, the leadership of the organization saying, look, if you don't pay up, we're going to release all the most sensitive data on your uh, staff, your customers, uh, and kind of play to those sort of pain points for, for the organization. That's, you know, if, if you fix the kind of the, the, the problem of sort of the traditional ransomware and you, you, know, you find a fix of how to stop the encryption happening, it, it, it doesn't stop the extortion of, of, you know, how the criminals are actually stealing data and, and, and playing on organizations' uh, emotions. Mm. He is Dr. Adrian Nish. He is the head of cyber for BA Systems Applied Intelligence. Dr. Nish, thanks again so much for joining us today. Thanks, Brad. And thank you for joining as well. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the Intelligence Download wherever you get your favorite podcast apps. And we will see you on the next podcast. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.